you know, I, I, and again, it's, it's actually my superpower, but I am an addict. I mean, whatever I do, I just feels like, and I don't gamble. I feel like if I, if I gambled, you know, I would be bad because ultimately I would gain addiction really quickly, at least the way my mind works. Um, but ultimately my escape and my release has been to become addicted to healthy things, to personal growth, to reading, uh, to my work. If you ask my wife and my family, do I work probably too much? I, pr- I probably do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it fills my cup and there's a value there. Am I work? Am I addicted to working out? I work out every day. Do I overtrain a little bit? I do. So um, that all said, there's been some things that I'm, you know, I still kind of partake in that I have addictive behavior, uh, but I've been very, very um, cautious and self-aware that they're good. That they're ultimately things that are going to benefit me, not ultimately, you know, tear me down. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Men on Purpose podcast. I am, I love this thing. Just, just FYI, if you can't hear it in my voice every episode, I love doing this. I love the feedback that we get. I love the, the things that people are getting, the takeaways, the ahas, the help that they're getting for their life. Even if it's just one more millimeter of progress, that's awesome. And I love being a part of that. I'm excited today. Have you ever heard of, of Fit Body Bootcamp? I know you have because it's, it's huge. Well, today I've got the CEO, Bryce Henson, on the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's really special. I've been, I've been really excited about this episode for a long time. When I saw his one sheet and his bio come over, I was like, man, that, that's going to be a really cool conversation. So Bryce and I are going to dive in today, and we're going to talk about all kinds of things. Before I get into that, let me just remind you of the Mental Purpose community that we have. The Mental Purpose community is a free Facebook group community that has so much value. If you are somebody that is just kind of inching their way forward in the personal development world, if you're just looking where to get started, this is where you get started. Just go to Facebook right now, go to the Men on Purpose community, and you will, and you will, you're in. It's free. There's, there's, there's no barrier to entry except for action on your side. Don't confuse it with the Men on Purpose podcast community. That's not it. This is called the Men on Purpose community. It's free. We've got free coaching twice a week, like literally live coaching calls with Aaron and I twice a week. If you're looking for somewhere to get started, this is the answer that you needed. Just get started. Take action now. The Men on Purpose community, get rolling. Our free coaching is on Mondays and Thursdays. If you are somebody that's like, man, I am looking for a coach. I'm looking for help. I want to dive in. I want to get farther, faster. We've got so many options for you and so many offerings for you, whether it's our mastermind that starts every couple of weeks, whether it's small group coaching or personal private one-on-one coaching or some of our other coaching products, we got you. All right. All right. That's my pitch. That's it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um, so today what Bryce and I are going to talk about and what I found was, felt was really important based on the feedback that I get is we're going to talk about Bryce's past and we're talking about him as a human and his involvement as a man and as a leader, not only in his life and his business, a leader in the fitness space, especially the franchise fitness space, which is what Fit Body Bootcamp is. And as the CEO, we're going to talk a little bit about Fitbody, and I'll promise you that on another episode that Bryce and I are going to do, we're going to really dig into the franchise model even deeper for those of you that are wondering after this episode, man, I wanted to learn more about that. Well, we go over a bunch, yet I'm going to get you deeper on a follow-up episode, so just know that that's coming. And here are the things that we talk about. One, three big takeaways that Bryce talks about, which you're going to hear in detail, are work ethic, value of self-reliance and relationships. Just hold tight because those are right in the beginning. We're going to talk about harboring and clearing resentment. 
We're going to talk about the definition of passion and the suffering that actually is in the definition of passion. We're going to talk about being relentless, rechanneling your negative energy, using alcohol or other substance as a, as a release mechanism from the, the pain and the fear and stuff inside of you. We're going to talk about uh, pain being a great motivator, how much your environment matters. My friend Josh Spitzen here in, uh, in LA, that's his big thing. And I learned that from his, your, your environment is crucial, not only in the environment in your head, the environment in your home and the environment that you actually live in and exist in every day. It's one of the big reasons why I'm in Los Angeles, because I wanted sunshine in my environment, not frigid cold winters and freezing rain and snow. We're going to talk about the value of coaching and accountability, the cost of not taking action on an accountability partner, a mentor, or a coach, uh, the pain of inaction, the, obes the obesity, obesity pandemic, shifting your identity, progress equals motivation, formula to lean out and get started on your fitness journey, and why Fit Body Bootcamp is so damn important. All right, you ready? Let's hit it. All right, Bryce, it's exciting, man. I have, uh, you and I, I think we've been playing tag for like six months on this. Um, <laughs> probably on me. So this is exciting to have you on. Um, I think a lot of people know your business and this is exciting because now we're going to get to know the guy behind the business and the depth. So let's jump right in, man. Where, where does this whole thing begin? Like where does the, the Bryce today, what's the genesis of you? Well, Ian, thanks so much for having me on. Super pumped to be here. And uh, shoot, I guess the backstory, um, we'll talk about you know business and all that, but I usually like to, to uh, tell a story from my childhood just to start to paint you know a little context. But uh, I came, uh, I typically say I'm from the Midwest, would be true in the sense I spent 12 years there, but actually my first 10 years of life, I uh, spent in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. I used to talk like this when I was a little guy, like I used to live in the backwoods. And um, it was a very volatile childhood, um, you know, to say the least. And primarily, number one, my first house was a trailer park. Um, and then se secondarily, my father suffered from alcoholism. Uh, he was addicted to drugs and gambling. So, you know, the trifecta in not necessarily conducive for a good family upbringing. Um, and uh, so, so, so it wasn't all bad. However, the situation as it progressed, um, you know, my later part of my childhood, about eight, nine years old, became very turbulent. And as it turns out, the verbal abuse became physical. And one night after a bender, uh, my dad was gone for a few days, you know, gambled away a lot of money, came home in a drunken stupor, uh, that verbal argument, which my mom clearly in a very, I guess rightfully so, was not too thrilled with his behavior. A verbal argument led out to a physical one. And my mom, before you knew it, you know, found herself on the bed, um, gasping for her life as my dad was strangling her. And by the grace of God, my little sister kind of uh, crossed paths, walked in the rooms. My dad got distracted and uh, she slipped his grip and like a bat out of hell ran out of that house. And uh, then ultimately my life changed. And while it sounds like a dramatic story, and it certainly was, um, it was actually a blessing disguised as a tragedy. And uh, the following, I guess, few days, we ended up moving to the state of Michigan. Uh, without my grandma, we would have probably been on the street. So uh, thank my lucky uh, stars for her. Uh, so she took us in, very humble beginnings, if you will, three-bedroom house where uh, my brother and I shared a room, my grandma had a room, and my mother and my sister actually shared not only a room, but a bed uh, for the better part of 10 years while my mom kind of scrapped and, and worked her tail off. So really, that all, say, that all said, well, it was a very traumatic time being that we ran out of money many times before we ran out of a month, uh, there was three big takeaways that really 
um, that I received at a very young age through this experience. And I know you and your audience can get value. And number one is, is work ethic and seeing my life get turned upside down. There's a lot of confusion and questions, as you would imagine, I was a boy, eight, nine years old. But what I saw firsthand was my mother just step up. Uh, she hadn't been in the working world for a solid decade. So she be began working full time. Again, we stayed with our grandmother while she could get on her feet for a better part of 10 years but day in and day out grinding away. And not only from a professional perspective, but also you know managing and raising three kids on our own. So that work ethic was just ingrained in me at a very young age. And what I like to say and, and share with your audience is, work ethic alone is not the formula. It doesn't guarantee you success. However, very few times you actually see someone without a work ethic that becomes successful. So for me, that was message number one. Um, the me message number two, uh, and the big takeaway that I received from that experience is the value of self-reliance. And I hate to say this, friends, and I say this with love, but no one is coming to save you. No one is coming on a white horse, not the government, not your wealthy spouse, uh, not an extended family member. No one's coming to save you. So it's, if it has to be, it's up to me. You have to have that mentality. And I learned uh, that through a young age in that traumatic situation looking at my mom and to her credit for all the work that she did, she was actually expecting our father to kind of take care of the situation. And because of that, it put us in a very vulnerable situation. So I learned that very tough truth very early. Um, and without that truth, even though it was uh, very hard to go through, it literally made all the difference. So self-reliance is number two. And lastly, Ian, is relationships and seeing, you know, the volatility it, without, you know, my grandma and my extended family back in Michigan to take us in. Um, and of course, the, the development of the relationships through adversity with my family became, became very, very close and still are to this day. Um, it showed me the value of relationships. So from a work ethic perspective, from a self-reliance perspective, and the value of investing in relationships, those are three big takeaways that I want to share with you. Just again, from a, very, a story very young in my youth. Yeah, those are great, man. I I, I think that the, it, the simplicity makes them so valuable because so many people will come to me and say, you know, I read Instagram every day. I see all these motivational quotes. I see all these things that these different successful people are doing. And, and it gets complicated. It, it definitely gets complicated for them in their own minds because they go, where do I start? How do I do this? Which one do I follow? Which path? These are so simple, like a work ethic. And what you're talking about is discipline and drive and probably some structure at least. The value of self-reliance totally. is, I think, is a fantastic one. Like, if it's up to me, if it's going to be, it's up to me is a great mantra and, and affirmation to have. Like, no one's coming to save you. I love how you say that. No one is coming to save you. And for those people that are, like, in your mom's situation, maybe not in, a, in, a, in an abusive relationship, yet they are reliant on somebody else, and they don't have to be, they're choosing that 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 can pose a dangerous situation and you gave us an extreme and luckily that you had your grandmother to fall back on it you, you would have been on the street right you would have been destitute yeah and your mom would have had to figure it, it out been bad yeah yeah and that 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 grit um that your mom had to just figure it out the courage she had to get out of there was was freaking awesome and then backing it with relationships is like, that is a beautiful trifecta. And I love how simple you make this. And I think a lot of people are going to get just in the first five minutes, they're going to get so much value out of this because that is a great way of describing how successful people can operate from a foundational level, you know? 
Yeah. yeah, well, no, thank you. And, yeah. you know, certainly time and reflection and going through it, there was just a ton of emotions and frustration, which then actually turned into rage. But thankfully, I, you know, directed it at the positive for a, a light and really wanted sure. to make a positive impact. But, you know, to that point, I think these are also just three messages founded in personal growth. And I know you, we share in that same path. I know your audience does as well. So the simplicity is definitely very important. Did you go through a time when you were... Uh, like a rebellious time or a time where you where your resentment built up so high, um, even towards your mom for maybe not um, protecting you in a way that that and this is where it's coming from. Have you ever w read Will Smith's new book? I have not, but it sounds incredible. What's, what's the name of it? I, it's called Will. And it's like a cartoonish sort of abstract painting looking thing you'll see it if you just type in will on audible you'll see it and he reads it and your story reminds okay. me of his where his dad um would just come home and the mom was like the punching bag and he developed and this is a question i have for you after i i kind of lay this context he developed this work ethic as we know will smith today one of the highest paid actors one of the most successful because one day he realized his dad would stop beating his mom when the video camera came out and Will was the actor. Will was entertaining. And so his brain wired and said, if I entertain people, people don't get hurt. And he blamed himself as well for being a coward and for not having the courage to stand up to his dad. Do you have anything like that? Whoa, Ian, man. It's interesting. <laughs> I was just watching an interview Deep, with Will Smith like... Yeah, well, it's deep and it's very fitting in the sense that like last week I was watching uh, in, uh, an interview with Will Smith on how he was so successful, reverse engineering, talked about his dad, the militant kind of lifestyle, yeah. which definitely had its drawbacks, but also some advantages as well. To your point, I've actually don't think I've ever been asked this question aside from my therapist, but yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I actually harbored a lot of resentment actually for my mom for a period of time for about a five years through my through my teenage years and you know some of that's just obviously the the, the stage of life that rebellion stage but i think in, in later years after going through therapy and processing and self-growth and reflection what i realized is i was resentful for my mom for staying with that dude for way too long yeah and it it started to come out in different ways um and the frustration, the anger, the confusion, um, those are all emotions. And I'm a very passionate guy, but I also, um, taking a step back, the word passion is derivative, the derivative is in Latin. It stands for paseo, which means to suffer. Um, so ultimately, people who have high, you know, because if you think actually taking a step back, the passion of Christ, and really that's the suffering of Christ. Sure. So people who have like a very strong sense of passion, there's typically a little rage in there because it's the derivative is suffering. So I would like to think, and I've been called by many people, I'm passionate, I'm passionate about health, I'm passionate about fitness, I'm passionate about business and personal growth. But that's really seated in pain and suffering and trauma, sure. you know, going through that young, young age. And for a while, it wasn't necessarily always directed towards, you know, the good. So, you know, I had many years, uh, especially through my teenage and early 20 years that, you know, kind of went off tilt a, a little bit, but ultimately, thankfully, I still always grounded it back and have been able to channel that rage to the positive. And I guess I'll, I'll put a bow on this. Um, there's a book out called Relentless by Tim Grover, yeah, who's a 
okay, awesome. You and your audience probably uh, are familiar, but if you're not, he um, Tim Grover was the personal trainer for Michael Jordan and the late Kobe Bryant. And he said the two common characteristics that he had about both guys was they basically had a lot of anger and rage in them and they would unleash 48 minutes of controlled rage at their opponent. Yeah. And I think that's really important, controlled rage. And if you can do that, if you can harness the power of your emotion and, and control it, um, then you obviously have something you know, to your benefit. And that's the really the, the call to action. So in that Michael Jordan documentary, did you have you seen that on Netflix? I have, yeah. So one thing- Yeah, two, you know, it's been a couple of years, I think already. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I noticed as, as somebody who, to use your word, is very passionate about human growth and development, is all of those guys had a very similar uh, foundation or bedrock that way they were reacting off of, and you called it out. They, Michael, Scotty, uh, Dennis Rodman, a lot of those guys, and they described their story, their childhoods were not great at all. And they, mm -hmm. they refocused, which is our responsibility, right? Not to blame, it's to take that energy and refocus it. And I always attri I'd attribute it to um, a water jet that can cut steel. At 50, 59,500 PSI of that water coming out, it's still a mess. Yet when it hits 60,000, it starts slicing and it's clean slice. So the focus of that energy is what you see in a Michael Jordan or a Scottie Pippen or even you or me is, is instead of having that rage and expelling it outward in, in some kind of abuse or drugs or gambling or whatever it might be, we took charge of those choices and rechanneled that energy into something that we were passionate about from that suffering. And I, I, I love to, I love to, um, to show appreciation for people that have done that because so many people haven't. Totally. And I, it's interesting. I heard this recently and there's a very commonality of a lot of very successful people, very driven people having some sort of trauma, but the also the opposite also true. I feel like my, my trauma was a blessing. My trauma ultimately has given me the understanding, the energy, the focus to actually make my mark on the world. And I, I actually feel bad for some people because I'm a huge faith, uh, believer in stoic philosophy, sure. understanding that the obstacle is the way yep. the challenges make you better. So sometimes if someone has has it just too easy their trauma is the fact they haven't had any trauma yeah. uh, so as long as you, you can actually take it processes it and channel it to the your analogy like to be able to like you know cut steel that's really the what we're after yeah and so did you kind of like kind of like will you don't you don't know the full story you know of will and obviously what he's become um, sure in that channeling did it always channel into fitness or like helping people as a coach or how did how did it how did it how, what was the genesis of that how did it start how did you start channeling yeah well i think it, it just derived like it was is a combination of seeing the work ethic being i'm wired in a certain way and then going through that trauma um you know from the very beginning i mean i was a hustler so like ever since that you know situation happened i was like 10 years old just below 10. i figured out a way in the state of michigan you had to be 14 to legally work but you could actually referee soccer games and make 15 dollars an hour of cash at 11 years old. So I ended up, you know, refereeing soccer. I, you know, as a bus boy, I, you know, was worked at the local rush, uh, the grocery store, you know, for tips under the table. So I, I used that and I channeled that at a young age to kind of be a hustler. Cause I realized, okay, like we, 
and I di- we didn't have a ton of money because my 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 father gambled a lot of it, but he actually was a trust fund baby. Or so the first ten years of our lives, it was volatile because of the relationship perspective. But at certain times, it depend if money was there or not, it would swing. Sometimes money was there, but what I realized is once they split. Money was not there anymore. So I realized very quickly that like, okay, I need to actually uh, hunker down and make this a focus. So I was able to channel that at my work ethic and my employment and really, you know, uh, being able to earn an income at a very young age. But I would say though, on the flip side, Ian, um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows either. While I describe my father the way I did, because what I, you know, the way I describe him is very accurate. I'm also in very humble, humbling myself. Later in life, I came to the realization that I have a problem with alcohol as well. I'm a recovering alcoholic, which I'm happy to report. I haven't drank in five years, but to your point, to answer the question, you know, in my later teens and early and through my twenties, um, not only was I driven by focused and really career focused, but I also um, took my foot off the gas or used alcohol as a release mechanism. And I think you know, gotten some bad habits there. So has it all been sunshine and rainbows by any stretch of the imagination? But again, another for, another tragedy, or excuse me, another blessing disguised as a tragedy really showed me when I was 33 years old that this was no longer alcohol was no longer needed in my life, and ended up you know being one of my best biggest battle cries, I wouldn't be on this interview today if it wasn't for that decision. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I speak to so many, so many guys every week and, and those that have a, um, how do I put this? Those that choose to use a substance to escape or to avoid or whatever you want to call it. How did you shift that? Cause I know there are people listening right now. They're like, they're, they're, they, they may have success like you do, yet there's unfinished business on that backside, right? And they use alcohol or gambling or porn or whatever it might be to escape from those pieces that are so hard to, to look at and go after inside of them, that, that trauma, that brain wiring, the pain of the past, the conditioning. How did you, what was it? What did you use to say, okay, I gotta, I've gotta go through this. I, I can't escape from this anymore. I've gotta go through this. I've gotta figure out, ferret out what this is. What was that turning point for you? And then what did you use as a mechanism to move from alcohol and actually face those demons? Yeah, great question. So actually, I'll answer the latter part of the question first. Um, you know, I, I and again, it's it's actually my superpower, but I am an addict. I mean, whatever I do, I just feels like and I don't gamble. I feel like if I if I gambled, you know, I would be bad because ultimately I would gain addiction really quickly, at least the way my mind works. Um, but ultimately, my escape and my release has been to become addicted to healthy things, to personal growth, to reading, uh, to my work. If you ask my wife and my family, do I work probably too much? I, pr- I probably do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it fills my cup and there's a value there. Am I, work- am I addicted to working out? I work out every day. Do I overtrain a little bit? I do. So um, that all said, there's been some things that I'm, you know, I still kind of partake in that I have addictive behavior, uh, but I've been very, very um cautious and self-aware that they're good that they're ultimately things that are going to benefit me not ultimately you know tear me down so you know it's a constant you know battle and i'll be the first one to tell you that so you know to your audience who maybe you're thinking you're workaholic or you have addicted to gambling or drugs or porn or whatever the case may be um you definitely have to refocus that you have to work through the trauma what's really helped me uh, for me, it was working with a, a therapist and a professional that actually helped me bring self-awareness to it. Yeah. And then ultimately it was about looking for different, you know, uh, areas to fill my time, which have been fitness, uh, reading, uh, personal growth, 
uh, in business. Um, that all said, Ian, to, to answer the first question though, kind of what was that aha moment? Well, so it's interesting. I'll kind of story tell a little bit in terms of how I realized I, I, I had an alcohol problem. And interestingly enough, I didn't actually realize it until my, the end of my 20s because I thought, you know, especially hearing the stories of my father was a daily drinker, like, you know, didn't have a job kind of all over the place. I thought an alcoholic was someone who without a job, um, didn't work underneath, uh, you know, homeless, underneath the, the, the bridge, drinking alcohol every day with a uh, brown paper bag. And Ian, that was never me. I was actually really focused, as I mentioned, from a very early age, uh, always made, you know, creating income and my work a very big priority. But what I used to, how I used to use alcohol was release. Yeah. Uh, so I would be, I was a binge drinker. So it was one of those things though, when I had one drink, like I have no governor, like it's, it's, it's on. So it was, it wasn't until, you know, later in my twenties when I kind of woke up one day realizing like after a bender being like, oh my God, I have an issue, but it actually wasn't until a few years later when I had this aha moment. And um, unfortunately, uh, alcohol is a genetic, genetic disease. My father's an alcoholic, his father, probably his father. It also runs in my family, my sister. Um, and uh, we worked together for a period of a few years and she managed one of the, of the gym locations that I had. And she's a beautiful soul, incredibly charismatic. She built a gym on her back because of her strong relationships, her love towards people. Um, she also, though, suffers from the same you know issues that, that I do as well. And uh, as it just so happened, the alcohol in her life was affecting things that became affecting our work relationship. For me, you know, there could have been a few times, thankfully, by the, the, the grace of God, it never got to that point. So I guess I'm not, uh, what I'm saying is I'm not on my high horse by any stretch of the imagination, but seeing my sister struggle time and time in multiple conversations, and it really hit ahead where it was really, we had a, um, a challenge party experience where we do these six week challenges for our clients and we celebrate them. And as it turns out, my team, including my sister, uh, was drinking during the event and it got, it escalated and I had to jump in and I wasn't drinking. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately I salvaged the situation. And the next day I, I had a talk with my sister, including the whole team. And in the conversation, Ian, um, I let her know like how much I love her and cared for her. And it was actually more of a repeat conversation, but this behavior from a, a work perspective um, could not happen anymore. And she knew of my problem uh, with alcohol. And I told her, hey, forever is a long time, but if you want to continue, you can't continue to drink alcohol at least for the next 12 months. And then we can reassess knowing that, hey, there was a deeper issue at play. Sure. So that all said, I had that conversation with her and I went home. Okay. And it was, it was on my mind, as you would imagine, I went to bed. And I woke up and when I woke up, I went to the mirror and I took a look at the mirror and Ian, I took a deep, hard look at that mirror. And I realized something that, you know, our society will forgive criminals, but not hypocrites and rightfully so. Okay. So who am I to basically ask this of, of my sister or loved one or anyone, a client, it doesn't matter who it is. Who am I to ask this something of someone when I actually carry that same cross and I have the, the problem uh, in and of itself? Uh, so it's that moment that I made this decision that, hey, I failed as an older brother. I failed as a leader. I failed um, to walk my talk and live by a moral authority. So through that big painful situation, which eventually we had to part ways and it was just one of the most challenging situations in my life. 
But because I owned up and realized that I had a lot of growth to do and that if I continued on this track, I would not be a great leader for my for her and my family. Uh, that pain got so great at that moment, which really set me on the course uh, to become sober. And the la- that was the, the, the story that I just referred to took place in December of 2016. Wow. Uh, and while I have a lot of addictive behavior, I'm happy to, to report that was the last time that I drank alcohol. Well, so really what you saw was uh, you, you were looking at a mirror that day and kind of like future projecting where this thing was going to go. And, and, and kudos to you for making that decision that I'm sure was not easy given the fact that you had a lot of pain and that the alcohol was really helping, you know, that manage oh, yeah. that pain. Oh, yeah. Yet you saw what it was doing to other people in your business that you worked hard for and and it's it's a magnanimous thing to be able to say, okay, I'm done and I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to have the discipline because your why, you know, so many people talk about like, what's my why? What's my why? Your why can be pain. Your why can be avoiding pain. It doesn't have to be my kids or my family. And, and most of the time in my, in my experience, when people say like, this is my big why, my family, and I go, cool, well, you're not doing the work. You're not getting the results. Yet you keep saying that your, your family is the why that's not the why the why actually is something bigger something more uh, more global than that that is a pain for you so kudos to you man that's 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 incredible for just recognizing that and saying you're taking over that automatic response and saying this is not gonna happen anymore I'm, I'm not doing this anymore and and i'm sure everybody in your life benefited from it in some capacity whether they think so or not Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there's no way I would have been able to rise the ranks and become the vice president of our company that, you know, be awarded the CEO position. There's no way we're having this conversation right now without that. And to your point, I mean, pain is a great motivator. And for me, um, it just got to the point where I realized like enough was enough. The pain was too great. And I think in the famous words of Tony Robbins, people take action for one of two reasons, either to avoid pain or to p- pursue pleasure. And both are equal motivators. And for me, the pain was just too great. And while it was a quote unquote tragedy in the moment, it turns out to be one of the best things that happened to me in my life. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I have never, I, I, I struggle with the, with the uh, genetic alcoholism conversation because I come from a long line of alcoholics and I've never had that challenge in my life. I have an addictive personality and I can definitely get into things and be on them heavy. Um, Not substances like anything, work, sport, whatever it might be. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the genetic piece is is the pain that's passed down from generation to generation. Like the pain that your dad had clearly was passed on to you. And in your physical world, and you saw that, registered that, wired that way, yet, and, and then the coping mechanisms just go along with it because how else are you supposed to avoid pain? You're watching how someone else does it, so of course you're going to follow the same route. Or, or maybe you, you pick mm-hmm. something else that's abusive or, or uh, destructive. Yet, I, I just think about myself like long line of alcoholics in, in all these different situations and... I somehow was able to escape that, I think based on what I saw. And my dad was one of those guys, kind of like you, you said, like when I found out my dad was in AA, I, I literally was like, well, my dad's not an alcoholic. He's not abusive and falling over and gambling the, the, <laughs> the house money away. And like, he, he can't be an alcoholic. He, he's, he's a good dude. Like he has a drink every day. And so what? Like, he has a couple drinks every day. So what? 
that was my thought process. And I really was, um, you know, kind of like my dad, the hero. I, I, I didn't want my dad to admit that he had a problem because I didn't want to see him as weak. And that was on me, man. That was my ego. That was my insecurity. Mm -hmm. Like, who's going to help mm -hmm. me if my dad is so, if my dad is weak and can't take care of himself, which is my thought process, not reality, then, then mm -hmm. can he still help me? And I, and I had, I dealt with that for about a year and my dad was always there and still is today. And he's my biggest advocate, my biggest fan. And he's my biggest mentor yet for about a year there. I thought like, do I need to switch following his lead because he can't help himself or he had this problem that he couldn't solve for so long. How's he going to help me selfish? And I'm an only child. So like my dad was my, my rock my whole life. Mm -hmm. And it, and it really affected me. And, um, and obviously since then we've completely cleared all of those. I've had very honest and open conversations with him. It's just something I think about often when I talk to other guys who come to me and say, I need, man, I need your help. Like I'm struggling with gambling or alcohol or porn addiction or things like that. And we really have to just get to the root of the, of the challenge of why you use that thing to avoid this thing. What is this thing? What is that thing? All right, now let's paint a clear picture between, you know, it's just, it's just, I, I, I really, I like how you put that. And it's just a, just an interesting concept. I just became very curious about how people operate. And I think that's probably why I yeah. sit in the position I'm in today with the mental purpose corporation and the, and the different events and coaching that we do just a curiosity about why people do what they do and the genesis of that. And, you know, the found the bedrock of it. So that's cool, man. So we obviously we're kind of into the business now. And, um, I think I could talk to you about personal development stuff forever. I think people are also going to want to know because <laughs> a lot of people know your brand. They're going to want to know how did this thing spin up? My first question is, how the hell did you know how to start a business or run a business or franchise a business <laughs> or grow a business? Like what happened there? Yeah, right on. Well, it was uh, a series of, of many events and fortuitous at that for sure. Um, but uh, fast forward, I'll kind of tell you how I got involved with the brand. I'm While I'm the CEO, I'm not the founder. My dear friend, mentor, and business partner, Bedros Koulian is. Um, but uh, last year, 2021, he decided to you know, pass the reins. Um, he's an incredible marketer and visionary, and he has a few other brands at play. And he realized, um, you know, for me being, I, I've been in the brand myself since the very early, since the first year of its inception from a franchising perspective in 2012. So at the time it was recording, you know, 10 years, which is even wild to think of. Um, but how I got started and really how this all came to be was, you know, as I you know, told you, I, I you know, grew up then the rest of my adult career in Michigan, ended up moving to Southern California. And there I was 21 years old. I was excited to be in LA. We're, we're sitting here in Southern California today, the blue skies, the palm trees, the beaches, Los Angeles, California, which is also the plastic capital of the world. So, you know, being young, I you know, definitely was not, you know, confident and didn't have the energy and the enthusiasm I do now. And I wasn't a fit guy. I wasn't obese, but I was 20 pounds of body fat overweight. I had 20 pounds of muscle to put on, which I did through a transformation. But way more than that, you know, I, I was looking for more confidence, mental clarity, energy. And, you know, thankfully, a good buddy of mine moved from Midwest um, to, to Southern California. We lived together and he was not on the cover of men's health. His name was Adam, but he could have been. He had the six pack abs and the muscles and the energy, the vibrance. And after a few months of living together, um, you know, I finally mustered up enough courage to say, Adam, can you, you know, teach me a little bit about lifting weights and, you know, getting fit? And he turned to me, he said, Bryce, I will. 
on one condition, you know, you've seen at Michigan State, dozens of guys used to always ask me about my fitness, but very few actually fell through. So I'll teach you everything that I know, but I need you to commit for 90 days that you will do ever, everything I tell you. Go to the gym with me, eat how I want to eat, do the things that you need to do. And after 90 days, if you don't want to do it, okay, awesome. You can quit and give up. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I need in order for you to continue. And, you know, thankfully he created that, you know, commitment uh, for me to, to, you know, really dive into. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said the first month I was like, my muscles were screaming so sore. I thought about quitting every single day. Uh, but thankfully I stuck with it. And what he did is he introduced me to lifting weights, circuit training, nutrition coaching, but most importantly in um, accountability, yeah. because without that accountability, I don't know if I would have been successful when I saw the Fit Body Bootcamp model a few years later after I became certified as a personal trainer after I got inspired. I realized that Fit Body Bootcamp, the actual programming of 30 minute sessions, hit training, you know, resistance and metabolic conditioning um, with nutrition and coaching and accountability, that worked for me. So I knew that it would work for other people. So that was really how I got my start in LA, how I got exposed to the fitness industry. And that really laid the foundation for. I guess me joining the brand in 2012 as a, as a Fit Body Bootcamp owner. What's interesting is I want to talk about environment. I'm sitting in LA right now because the, this environment is is conducive for activity and, and like getting outside and vitamin D from the sun and walking on a beach and like depending on where you live in LA, obviously. However, was that your motivator? Because I, I told you before we started recording, I, I live in LA because one, my wife is from here and two, we didn't want to go through another winter where it was gray for five months and raining and snowing and cold. And, and I felt like an environment change, although external would, would be a benefit to my internal world because on a, on a, on a 320 day basis, I could pretty much count on sunshine to be an external factor that could brighten my day literally and figuratively. Was that one of your motivating factors, the environment? And, and I want to press on that hard because I know a lot of guys that live in, in some really cold tundra states and they'll say like, I'm just not motivated. And I'm like, I get it. I think it's your environment. It's your home environment. It's your physical environment. It's where you live. We left Baltimore, not because we didn't love Baltimore and not just because of the winter. We wanted an environment that pushed us, that challenged us, that made us a little nervous and that was limitless. And when you look at something like LA, you look up on the hills and you go, well, I mean, that house is $100 million and it's built on a cliffside. Mm -hmm. That's limitless, mm -hmm. in my opinion. The mindset of this environment is different than Baltimore. Not, not better, just different. And that's what appealed to us. Was that the same thing that appealed to you? Oh, amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, for sure. And, and it actually probably is rooted a little bit deeper. I told you my my childhood story when I was living in Georgia, which had nice climate and warm weather and then got shipped to Michigan overnight. So I think there was a lot of trauma unpacking there. And, you know, I was definitely very resentful of living in the cold in Michigan. You know, my family's there, an amazing place to grow up, but awesome people. So to your point, no, no disrespect or not, but I think subconsciously, I always had the idea of moving to somewhere warm. And then when I got exposed to LA, uh, the summer before I graduated school, I ended up, you know, getting an internship that took me out here for a few months. I mean, you know, just immediately you feel the energy, the vitamin D, yeah. like, and I realized, okay, from, from an environment perspective, this is where I want to be. Um, so yeah, hundred percent, that definitely factored in. Love that. So now I want to go back to something and I really want to kind of stay on this for a second. The, the, the importance of a mentor or a coach. Obviously, you're somebody that believes in that. Your friend, your roommate was that person for you. And I get a lot of people who will say to me like, hey, I know I need some help. I know I need some 
some some training or some this, you know, whatever their situation is. Um, I think I could do it on my own. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You can totally do it on your own. Yet the, there's a farther, faster mindset and a farther, faster factor that comes with a coach and an accountability partner. Now, one who's specifically trained, not somebody that like went to a seminar, learned some things and went back and like all of a sudden raised their coach flag and started a website. Like not so much. I'll, obviously, all of us have to start somewhere. And I started, I was talking to, to our group this morning and they said, like, how did you get to the level? And I said, everything I learned, I went back and coached for free. I taught, I taught it because I knew that accountability wise, I would have to really embody it and know it and become that person versus just regurgitating information that I memorized. Big difference. Mm -hmm. So what's your, what's your view? Obviously, I already know it. What, just go into it a little bit about the value of, of an effective mentor accountability slash coach that can guide you to the goal that whatever it is that you set. Oh, Ian, and I mean, it is, it is everything. It is coaching is everything. Uh, look like the world is limitless to your point. You know, like there's so much awesome stuff. There's so much information. There's no way possibly every single person can know every single facet. So if you're trying to get clear and be, have success in certain area, it only makes sense actually to put your ego away, swallow your pride, put on the white belt mentality and hire someone or, you know, connect with someone who's been where you want to go. And for me, I mean, that's fitness, that's business, right? But also too, like to your point, um, my mother's a mentor. My mother's a mentor in a very different way. She's not a fitness mentor of mine. She's not a business mentor of mine, but she's um, a life mentor. It's how she treats people, how she cares for people. So, you know, I think to your point, like mentorship and guidance is absolutely everything. I mean, coaching literally will take you from where you want to go to where you want to be. But more importantly, like 10x the time frame, like time collapse, which is really what you want because we only have a few spins on this globe to begin with. So maximizing your time is everything. But also to some Sometimes people feel like they get brought brought into a box and realize that you can look for coaching everywhere. Ian, if I want to, you know, some business coaching with you, okay, great. If I want some mindset coaching from Tony Robbins, I mean, there's a, a wide variety of people that you can tap into, but really to put a bow on it, from my perspective, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without my fitness coaching, without my fitness mentors, without my business mentors. Um, so for me, it just makes a ton of sense and highly recommend. And certainly if you're listening to this, 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 uh, this podcast, you probably see some value, but if you're had some sort of living belief and you're like, Oh, I want to invest in coaching, but I'm not totally sure. Yes. Now is the time. Yeah. I always say to people, they'll go, well, how do I know it's the right time? And I go, well, you reached out, <laughs> you had something that called you to take action and say, Ian, can I talk to you about what I'm looking for? Or, Hey, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking that I may need some coaching or some, some additional guidance from someone who's a little bit higher up on what I call like the parking garage of life. Right. You're just driving up the levels. It doesn't mean you're better. It just means you've been through the, uh, the levels three above and that that person's mm -hmm. about to come through and they can guide you. A coach is really only somebody that's, that's one level ahead of you. They've just been through something that mm -hmm. you want to go through and they'll help you avoid most of the pitfalls that they encountered, if, especially if they didn't have a coach. What do you say to somebody who goes, yeah, I like all this, Bryce. Uh, it's just, a, you know, I'm not... I, I can't afford it or I, I, I don't know. I, I uh, Money's a little tight or uh, I don't know if I want to spend that much money. Would your advice be you can't not afford it? Like you can't afford not to well, do that's it? What, 
That's what I tell my fitness clients because it's interesting enough. When I talk to you about my transformation that I went through, this is early 2007, so I can even barely believe we're fifth. This is 15 years ago when I first went through my my transformation, and I, you know, Ian, very very candidly with you, I just wanted to have a better physique so I could have more confidence. That was really what it came down to. But I gained way more than I bargained for when I went through fitness, sure. and it, it turns out I had more mental clarity. And yes, I got confidence. I got the abs. I got the the physique. But I became more confident and energetic, enthusiastic. And speaking of which, from my sales career, which brought me to LA, I became one of the—I was one of the least performing sales rep in my company. Then, within twelve months of my fitness transformation, became the top performing sales rep in my entire company. So, when people ask me, like, "Oh, I can't afford to be fit," Ian, to your point, I say, "You can't afford not to be yeah. fit." So that would be my strong recommendation. But at the end of the day, too, you know, what's that famous adage? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I'm not here like forcing saying, hey, you need to do this. Cause at the end of the day, like my I have a duty, obligation, responsibility to share fitness, to share business, share my message. But it really it has to be the right time and place for the person. And if the person's not willing to swim towards, you know, the helicopter, which is an analogy you would use here at Fit Body Bootcamp, then I say, hey, go figure out yourself. And I wish you all the best luck in the world. But if and when you know, you you get you land on your face. Don't worry, I'm here for you. And you know, for me, that's the that's the best approach. But uh, yeah, I, I just can't can't really stress to your uh, point the the value of coaching. And I'll finish on this note. I think um, many of your audience have has watched the movie Catch Me If You Can with yeah. um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. And in that movie, you know, he's an incredible con artist who eventually works for the FBI. But he ended up teaching a, a college course for uh, X amount of time. And when he was asked afterwards, like Tom Tom Hanks and the actor or the, the famous actor asked Leonardo DiCaprio in character, how do he do it? And he's like. Well, it's really easy to teach a course. All you need to do is be one one chapter ahead of the rest. Right. And really what you're trying to do is just find someone who's at least one chapter ahead of you so you can get there quicker. Yeah, 100%. And what's interesting is the, the pain of inaction is really the pain that leads to action. So it's, it's, it, maybe there's a juxtaposition between the two. However, like I want to talk to you about obesity and, and, and like why people are getting fatter and where does it, where does somebody draw the line and say, you know what, the pain of inaction is so much. And we call it in our world, we call it what's at stake. And we go through and one of the intake uh, questions I ask people, even before they jump on a call with me, just to explore coaching, I'm like, what's at stake if you don't do this? And they'll say, you know, if it's an obesity thing, they'll say like, I'm worried that I'm going to die early and my children are going to be affected. I'm like, cool. That sounds pretty damn big. That's huge. Or if I don't, if I don't get out of my job, like I, I don't feel like I'm showing my children the best course of action and, and like the best um, uh, uh, risk taking or like, or how to go for something in their world. Or if I don't, if, if what's at stake, if I don't take action is my marriage is in jeopardy or my employment, my employment's in jeopardy. What is that threshold in your opinion that is is right at the precipice and then they get into that zone of like what's at stake is so damn big you got to take action or you are going to slide downhill and you're going to face major regrets in the future maybe even now they're just going to yeah. personify you know oh yeah well you know that's an incredible question the intake form uh to one for reflective question you know for you know your your onboarding um client uh, but two to give you more insight you know where their pain threshold is but ian to, to answer your direct question 
it's it, it varies. It's depending on the person. Yeah. And I say this being an Alcoholics Anonymous going to AA, I'm what's called a high bottom drunk to your point, kind of like your dad. From the outside world, nothing like catastrophic happened to me. But for me, the pain of being an ineffective leader for my sister by not basically leading by example, that pain for me was like, when is this going to stop? Like the cycle of addiction, like this is, this has happened over and over and over again. Like this is insanity for me. Sure. The pain point was, was too great for others in the room. I have dear friends, like even mentors that have been in the program for 30 years for them, they had to get multiple DUIs, literally like kill someone or almost kill someone on the road, like touch wood. I mean, heaven, heaven forbid, but to them, that's actually what needed. Like one, one of my buddies had to go in jail for a year and a half, like in Chino state prison, for after his fifth DUI to finally come to the realization that holy shit, I have a problem. So to your point, it, it varies. It, there's no, I don't think there's any black and white answer because it's individual to the person. Um, but uh, pain is definitely a great motor as we talked about yeah. and uh, just very, very important. And that's the value of being self-aware and going through like, you know, having understanding yourself. So that way you know how you show up to the world. So something that comes up for me when you say that, like to be a great leader for my sister, that was a turning point for you yet that could have been the beginning of another, um, uh, I'm just blanking on the word, like uh, self-effacing, self-limiting, beat myself up kind of cycle. And you know a lot of people when they go through a situation like that and it's just another situation that keeps spinning the ball, like that, that vicious cycle. And we're like, well, mm -hmm. got another DUI, I guess I'm a loser, guess I'm you know, certified now as a loser. And then they let that mm -hmm. keep the ball spinning instead of, Instead of having this this uh, moment of clarity in the present moment to say, you know what, I don't want this ball to keep spinning like that. I'm not okay with that. How does somebody get clear enough, like you did, to realize that they can, they have the power and the choice to spin this thing in a different direction? Yeah, I mean, get, kind of going back, it's an incredible question. I just think it comes down to pain. When the pain sure. gets too great, you finally, for me, I just, I put up the white flag, you know, it's like when, this is insanity, this situation's happening over and over again. But to your point though, Ian, there was many situations, probably the, the years prior that a certain situation came up, but for whatever reason, that, that, that wasn't the time. And I kind of went back into that other cycle. Uh, so it is an interesting question. I don't think there's a, a one size fits sure. all answer, but again, it's about personal growth. It's about self-awareness. It's about journaling. It's about, you know, you know, being humble enough to go see, uh, a, a, enroll with a coach, hire a coach, hire a therapist, try to get to the inner workings of you. So when you, when you ha have a strong understanding of who you are, then the world becomes yours. And I think that's a, you know, a big missing point, um, yeah. you know, for a lot of people, just that lack of self-awareness. Yeah. There was a coach that once told me that transformation happens in a moment. Cause I'm like, how long does transformation take? You know, just in my ego and my impatience. And they said it happens in a moment. And I was like, well, how does it happen in a moment? I don't feel changed. And they go, every choice you make is transformation starting and either not starting or starting. So you can either go right at the fork or left at the fork. And the fork is every freaking choice you make. And although it sounds very overwhelming, it's really the, the self-sabotaging, non-serving, destructive choices that we make. In that moment, you must build a new habit, right? You have to have build a new habit to be able to, to get sustainability. In that moment, you can choose, I'm gonna hire a coach. I'm gonna go see a therapist. I'm not gonna drink today. You have that choice, no matter how deep and dark it is, you literally have that choice. And I think that self-empowerment piece is what people are missing. And where a coach can come into play, like the extra reps, let's say, perfect analogy with working out. 
Like on your own, you might do six. Yet with a with a trainer, you're gonna do ten because they're gonna encourage, mm-hmm. gonna challenge, and push you. Also support you mm-hmm. on that same side. So I I just um, I, I'm very curious about that with people and why they don't make the choices they do. Now we also know that the pain cycle becomes their identity, and we all know people are like, well, same shit, different day, or. Well, my back's acting up again. It's Monday. Of course, it's, you know, like they, they just, they perpetuate that shit on their, on their own. And then they use the outside world to just fuel that perpetuation. I see that so often. Yet you and I see people that a year ago, they were completely different people. And the way that we describe it in our world is you're not, you don't have to change who you are. You have to eliminate the pieces that aren't you anymore and make it that easy. If your drinking is a problem and not getting you the results that you want, you're going to have to figure out a way to eliminate that like you did. And now what opens up is this whole new world of possibilities that you didn't even know about because you were stuck in that pattern. Would you agree with that? And to, oh, 100%. But to your point, you said something really profound to me. It's the identity piece. Yeah. It's like, how do you identify? And for me, you know, through my 20s, I identified as a guy that binge drank, right? So it took me probably two years to be in the program and realize, okay, now when I'm out, you know, if we're out about, you know, and you're, Ian, you asked me for a beer, I was like, oh, no, no, thanks. I don't drink. Easy as that. Because yeah. my identify now is I don't drink. You know, that's just the way the way I am. But it wasn't like that. Same with my fitness. Um, when I went through that journey, uh, that transformation that I, that I shared with you, um, it wasn't probably for a solid two years. I mean, I got the physique in six months. My life started to change. Things happened. But I remember vividly, like what sparked me becoming a, a personal trainer was a, a guy walked up to me at the gym, to me, right? Up until that point, I'm, I'm the white belt. I'm learning. I'm growing, et cetera. And said, hey, man, I just want to kind of check in here with that set. Like, how do you lift that weight or, or like, how's your nutrition? When he asked me a couple of fitness questions, like for me, the light bulb went off and that was the first point of my identity. So I think to your point, that identity piece is so powerful. It shapes, you know, your ego, it shapes the way you view the world, whether it's your health, your fitness, you as a business person. Um, so, you know, again, kind of go back to the personal growth, reflecting, getting to know yourself. Uh, and then that way you can break the change of addiction or whatever it is to take, you know, action to better your lot, lot in life. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting is as we wrap up here, which I can't believe the time has flown by this fast. Um, yeah. I told you, man, these fly awesome. on the wall conversations, they roll, they just, they roll so well. Yeah. Um, I want to give the audience, so there's just 50 million questions I have for you about fit body. Like I want to talk about that. And I just, before we, before we wrap with fit body stuff um, and what you offer, what are some things that people can do? And you certainly can self-promote, no problem. Self-promote all you want. What are some things that people can do literally right now when they pause the interview or they, or they, um, or they end this episode and they're like, okay, Bryce, I heard you. I'm going to take action right now. What's something that they can do to, to shift their personal health fitness journey into where they actually want the results or or actually get the results they want? Yeah. And and it's a great question. I first want to preface it by, I really believe that uh, this famous quote by Tony Robbins, which I've quoted a few times now, progress equals motivation. So many times people think like, and even for me, I had a conversation with myself who was this motivated business guy, fitness guy for the morning, which is when I wake up, like I just didn't want to work out today. So I had to be like, all right, Bryce, like it is time. Let's go. Now, thankfully my habits taking me there. But the common misconception is that 
because I don't feel like this, it's always going to, there's always going to feel resistance. And that's just not the case. The first five, seven minutes of your workout is always the hardest. But then once you actually are in motion, you got start seeing some progress, then you become motivated. So the motivation actually happens after you start taking action. So keep that in mind. It's a very, very important mental frame. But for the here and now to better your lot in life, uh, number one, this sounds so basic, but my first fitness coach, Adam, was like, dude, if you want to lean out and actually get better shape and you know cut body fat, drink more water. So if you drink a gallon of water a day, if you increase your sleep to seven, seven, hours, a, uh, seven hours a night, and then if you start moving your body for 15 minutes a day, three times a week to start, like just doing those three basic things, increase your water, increase your sleep, and move your body three times a week for at least 15 to 20 minutes to start, that will just, if you could put that together for six months, that will be transformational. Then your next step is to hire a coach. Then your next step is to, you know, join a boot camp. Then, then your next step is to like dial in nutrition. Yeah. But, you know, people sometimes think like that they, they, they get, they get overwhelmed analysis by paralysis. Start small. Like let's, let's build a few habits and then progress equals motivation. Once you actually see the progress that you're making, you'll be motivated to, to do more. So here's what I want to end with. Um, and I, I'd love to have you back on to go a little deeper into just the fitness stuff that, that people can listen to this and, and, and they get some instruction. Um, what sure. makes Fit Body Bootcamp so effective? And like your growth is pretty amazing. And when I saw your name come over, uh, maybe from, maybe it was your admin or one of your agents or something. And I was like, oh, I know that guy. I've seen you, I've seen your talks on YouTube. Like I know him. That's awesome. Right, let's do this. Obviously I know the brand too. So it's very exciting. Why, why, why is Fitbody different or, um, so effective or what, however you guys say it, why Fitbody? Like, what is it about you guys? Coaching, nutrition, environment. I mean, you talk about the environment. Yeah. When you put yourself in a, an environment that's conducive to making you better, that makes all the difference. Um, uh, our workout program, like it's sustainable. We do 30 minute sessions, uh, full body workout. We put our bodies into the afterburn effects. So we're working resistance training. So you're strengthening your muscles. Also metabolic conditioning, which is a fancy word of saying cardio. So to be able to do run a, a full body 30 minute circuit in a very short period of time, um, is an incredible way to get someone in shape. And not only that, from a nutrition perspective, um, you know, most of your body composition uh, changes through nutrition, not necessarily human movement. When you put them together, that's when results really happen. And the last point that I just reiterated is the coaching. So those elements at play make our product uh, so incredibly strong. The results are incredible. And I mean, we could talk probably for hours yeah. on the business model and this, that, and the other, but foundationally, that's why we'd be able to scale hundreds of locations in, in a very short period of time when you look at the franchise industry. Yeah, man, that's so crazy. I, I really want to have you back on to talk about that because I think a lot of people are going to get something from how you guys have scaled as well. So I, I'm, I'm going to rebook just for the audience. I, we'll, we'll book another one and we will, because people are going to call me, they're going to DM me and go, I want to know about the <laughs> franchise, man. I want to start one. I want to do this. So I, we'll do it again. I promise audience. We will do it again and we will talk about <laughs> all the business stuff you want. I think it's so powerful to understand the person behind the business, the leadership, how they led themselves. Like men on purpose is all about relationships. The relationship you have with yourself, the relationship you have with your spouse and your children or your family and the relationship you have in your business. That's it. It's so simple, but relationships are what drive us. Just like your third point in the, in your big takeaways, like relationships are key. So the audience needs to know why you're so 
what, what built you to who you are today. And that's why this episode was awesome. And we will get into all the other cool stuff with the business on another one. You cool with that? Love it. Dude, Ian, this has been awesome. Thanks, I just man. want to acknowledge you for just being a great host. This conversation has been great. And I hope I've been able to add value and I'm happy to be back on anytime. Yeah. Thanks, Bryce. And audience, if you enjoyed this, please, like, you can find Bryce on Instagram. Write to him. Tell him how much you enjoyed this episode. Share it out with your family and friends. Share it out on social media. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel if you haven't, where you'll actually see Bryce's pretty face on here and my crazy, dirty L.A. hat. <laughs> and, um, and we'll come back to you with another one where we'll discuss and dive into the Fit Body business and the franchise model and their scalability and your leadership, man. Like, I, wanna, I really am interested in diving into that. So... Dude, thanks for being here. Really appreciate you. Dude, likewise, Ian. It's been great and uh, definitely appreciate the conversation and happy to be back anytime. Absolutely. All right, audience. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks.